Ray, what happened with your sister? She was uh, in the process of breaking up with her boyfriend, and um, he decided that he didn't want to uh he didn't want to let her go and if he couldn't have her nobody could so um in, you know like I say she was in the process of breaking up and moving out of, of they had an apartment together and uh he took her life did you guys all know that they were about to break up or is this something you found out after the fact yeah yeah we knew that they were fighting a little bit and um you know they kind of in the process i always think that i wish that she told us that you know he had gotten physical or you know maybe this was the first time that I don't know but I wish she would have just called us and you know my older brother and I would have been there in a second but but then but then maybe she didn't want us to get involved get in trouble you know hurt him or or whatever maybe she thought she could just handle it and um so that's, uh, yeah, that's what Maybe happened. Maybe she didn't realize it was going to get to that extreme either. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine yeah. she would. So, um, yeah, she thought she was handling it, and um, she was just going to get away from him and move on with her life and uh, didn't, didn't get the opportunity. Was it shooting? I mean, what was the? No, he, uh, he, he had a knife. Wow. And, um, you know, it was just kind of... He, he, heated in the moment you know grabbed a knife and and used it so so do you remember where you were when you got the news yeah i I was um i actually i just gotten home and my dad my dad called me and he said to come over to her apartment and just something in the voice that he didn't say what and he didn't know yet but he, um, I just, I could just hear something was wrong in his voice. So I jumped in my car and I, uh, got there as quick as I could. And then when we got to the apartment, there was, I saw my dad standing there just down, you know, at the bottom of the stairs waiting for some answers. And, uh, finally this, this cop comes over and he tells us that, uh, that she was, had passed. And I remember looking at him like, how could he say that? I mean, that he's wrong. That, that didn't happen. You know, he must be thinking something else, talking about something else or somebody else. And, and um, you know, unfortunately, he was right. And so I'm there with my dad, and um, they brought us over to a, a truck or a van or whatever to sit in. And, and uh, it was tough. I mean, it was... Did they arrest him right there? Uh, no, fortunately, he wasn't there. Um, so, yeah, he, he had already left. Um, you know, if, I, if I think about what yeah, what I, I would do in that moment if I were there, if I were confronted with him. I mean, it's been, it's been um, 22 years now, and um, I still don't know. I still think that I would probably use restraint and control and but maybe not. I don't know. And I'm not a violent person. I'm not I don't think I'm a big tough guy or whatever, but it would be it would be a hard uh hard thing situation to be in. And it's never gonna happen, so it doesn't really it's not worth thinking about, but uh why not? Is he in jail? Yeah, he's I'm sorry. He's he, yeah, he they he got arrested. And, so they um, did catch him not long after, I'm guessing. Yeah, and uh, he was convicted. He's been uh, been in jail the whole time. He got 42 years. And so he, uh, you know, one day he may get out. He'll be an old man, so um, maybe not. Do you track, know. like, where he is and all that? Uh, or you know what, I don't. Put it behind I, you? I, I just put it behind me. I don't want to dwell on that. It doesn't that. matter, right? It, yeah, I mean, no, nothing good is going to come from it. It's, it's just going to bring up old memories that are painful and um why i uh, uh, yeah i'd rather focus my energy on other things welcome to takeaways life lessons learned 
I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group. Recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. It's a rare occurrence in life when a stranger comes along and totally changes your worldview with a simple question. That's what Ray did. Ray Lucero has been in banking for 24 years. I think that's right. He's currently Senior Vice President at Bank of George, local bank here in Las Vegas. Ray and I met in the depths of the recession, and we'll share more of that story a bit later. But over the years, what's well, been about nine years now? Yeah, they're about eight, nine years, something like that. Ray, you've become a friend and, you know, in our little circle of friends, everyone knows that you are the go-to sage advisor for all things family. And hopefully we'll get into a little bit more about your, your family dynamic. But Ray, thanks for being here. Spend a few minutes. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. Well, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. I, um, happy to come do it. I'm a fan of, of your podcast. And so I was honored when you asked me, so. Uh, my name is Ray Lucero. I've been in the banking business my entire adult life, and uh, something I'm passionate about, something I enjoy. And um, 24 years, I mean, your entire adult life, how, are you 30, how old are you? 42. Wow. 42. I started actually when I was uh, 17. I was a teller. I would... Uh, what bank? First Interstate Bank of Nevada. Is it still here? No. Ah. They sold to Wells. I think 2000, somewhere in there, and um, came up through the ranks and just was ex- excited to learn more and more about the business and was lucky enough to have some good teachers and it's, uh, like I say, made a career out of it. So you're Bank of George now and your title is Senior Vice President. What does a Senior Vice President do at a bank? Like, describe your day-to-day. Well, there's there's several Senior Vice Presidents with that throughout the company, and my particular role it's business development and relationship management. Okay. Um, so I go out, um, identify new opportunities, and then one thing that's important to me is I stay on and, and actively manage those relationships. It's not I'm not comfortable with just handing it off to somebody else and letting them take it and, and uh, run with it. I want to be the point person. I want to develop the relationship over a number of years, and, and so sometimes that's um, you know it looks different in, in every circumstance. So it seems like there could be some challenges with that, with uh, managing other people and working within a team. You know, maybe we'll talk about that a little later, maybe not. Um, but you, you talked about business development and relationship management. Interestingly, those are some of the takeaways that I have uh, specifically with you that I've learned from you over the years. But everyone knows this show is called Takeaways, and it's about my takeaways from people that I've learned from and who have influenced me. And you're certainly one of those people. Uh, and I like to jump right in and ask for you in your life, what one thing or event or person has defined or shaped you the most? For me, it's it's my dad. My dad is one of my best friends. I mean, we talk or text every day, and sometimes it's just, you know, a, a baseball score or something simple, or, you know, we spend time as much as we can when we have the opportunity, but I talk to him every day. And the reason why it's my dad is because when my parents divorced when I was about 10, um, my older brother and I lived with my dad, and we joked that we took turns raising each other. You and your brother? Me, no, I'm sorry, me and my dad. Oh. And certainly my brother falls into that too, but... Is he older or younger than you? My, yeah, he's my older brother. Okay. And um, so we took turns raising each other, and there were things that he did that um, were positive and some that were, weren't. And by by seeing those things, it, it definitely influenced me. There was, uh, you know, I remember a specific time where he made a poor decision and it affected my myself and my brother. And um, I remember my takeaway from that was, I'll never allow this in my when I'm when I'm an adult. I will never allow this to happen to me. Were you and, still around ten when that happened, or a little no, older? No, I was. Uh, probably 12, 13, I would say. And, um, you know, he just made a poor decision. And 
we unfortunately had to pay the price for that. And so, and I just remember thinking, when I'm an adult, I want to have my act together. And not that he doesn't, but in that particular instance, he didn't. Have you guys talked about it since? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, he, he's a different guy now. My dad is entirely different, but there was a time where he didn't have his act together and, and, um, it's and that, he's certainly open to ref, you know looking back and reflecting on the good and the bad because there's plenty of good too. It's not just all, all, uh, all negative. Can I ask why didn't you go live with your mom? We did for a little bit. I you know I have three younger sisters as well, and it just kind of the way things worked. I, I don't really remember exactly why, but um, my three younger sisters went to work or work live with her and. Uh, Okay, old, so old five, Dan and I, five kids. Five kids. Divorce. You're the oldest of ten. I'm the second oldest. Second oldest. Older, oh, older brother. Older brother. That's yeah. right. Okay. Uh, so the, the sort of um, I'm blanking on the term. The the not divorce decree, but the custody. The custody was dad takes the two boys, mom takes the three girls. Right. Right. Yeah. And it just kind of worked out that way. It was. Um, um, we certainly went back and forth. It wasn't anything that was set in stone. Yeah, I was going to ask, what was the dynamic then with you and your sisters? We, as for not living together, I think that looking back in our childhood, we were as close as five kids could be. I mean, we were, um, we always had somebody to play with. You know, we always had somebody to um, pick on. You know, so uh, it was great. I mean, I, I look back on those times when we would, what sometimes when we would get together and it, there would be over holidays or, or summer breaks or whatever, when we all get together, it was kind of chaos for a little while because we were just all so excited to see each other again. And there wouldn't be long, long breaks in between seeing each other, but long enough to where you'd really miss them. And then after, you know, a day or two, you were ready to, get ready to go back, <laughs> get your own space. <laughs> I chuckled when you said, uh, you know, have someone to pick on. I've got three kids, as you know, and, man, when they go at it, it just drives me crazy. But at the same time, it's cool that they have each other to, to beat up and wrestle and whatnot. I, I think along with that is you've got – they'll always have each other's back. They'll always look out for each other. And, you know, heaven forbid somebody else picks on them because they'll be right there to, to look out for each other. That's how it was with, with us. And you have kids? I do. I'm lucky enough to have four kids. What are their ages? Now, they're, uh, my oldest is 27. I have twins that are 24. And my baby girl is 20. Twins. Wow. So, right there. Let's talk a little bit about that, if anybody's paying attention and doing the math. You started as a bank teller at 17. You're in your 40s, and you have your youngest is 20. So, you are obviously a young father. Yeah. Not the easiest talk, task. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, I um, dated uh, a girl most of my senior year in high school. We broke up, and um, a month or so, two months later, I found out I was going to be a father, and um, I was going to be a father of twins. Phew! And so and you I, were, how old were you? I was um, almost 18. So you were already working at the bank as a teller? Yeah. Okay. So already, it wasn't yeah. like I found this out and yeah. dropping out of high school to go work. No, I was actually, I graduated and uh, starting at UNLV. And then I found out and I said, I've got to work. I've got to make money. I've got people now that are I'm responsible for. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what that was going to look like or any of that yet. But, um, but I knew then that. So you already had, had that sense do. of duty. Yeah. And, and my, my oldest daughter has been part of my life since she was two. Um, my wife uh, had her um, prior to us getting married. But, you know, so I already had some of that already. Got we, it. We were already dating at the time. So I had this, this little person that, you know, looked up to me and was kind of counting on me to, to take care of things. And so... So are you an empty nester yet? Not quite. Not quite. So you lived, you know, your entire adult life really as a, a working adult and as a parent, sounds like, and it's been about half your life. That's interesting. So, so talk more about that as you observe your, like, a friend like me who I had kids at 30, 
what do you think were some of the differences for you or for, I guess, a more conventional path to, to marriage and family? So the positives are of having kids young is, you know, I'm still young and, and my kids are adults. So, but like I said, that's not the easiest, easiest way. Um, I think that the benefits to having kids later is as I've gotten older, I've become more patient. Um, I think I'm a better father today than I was then because you know, when you're a kid yourself, mm. you know, you're sweating every little detail <laughs> and it's, you know, everything's a big deal. Now it's not so much. You kind of pick your battles. So back then, what was the, like, describe what was the biggest deal to you where you thought the sky's going to fall or this is just an atrocity? I don't know. Maybe they spilled something or whatever. I mean, not, I something like that. Yeah, would I mean, it, it be was a big deal. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. That's a tough question. I, I can't. I don't. I just remember thinking everything was, everything was a big deal, because I didn't know. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, and we were kind of just uh, figuring it out as we went along, and and um, certainly bumped our heads plenty of times, and and made some plenty of mistakes. But you know, we, they turned out okay. I, my end goal was. I wanted them to grow up and be responsible adults, and I feel like we've accomplished that because they're they're great people. I love hanging out with them, and not just because they're my kids. They are great, great people, and they're all entirely different, and uh, which is which is odd because you know when you have kids, you mm-hmm. know, you you raise them pretty much the same way, but they all yeah kind of have their different things that they like or don't like or their way. <laughs> uh, I got so many questions just about this and different directions we could go. But you found out when you were 18 that you were going to be a father, and with twins, no less. When did you find out that you were going to be a father again? Was, um, my youngest came along a couple years later. We were already married um, at that point, and we wanted to have a baby together. We wanted to have... Um, so the first one's like, "Hey, surprise!" Well, and my, then the next one we was, had, you know, I, I, you know, I say we're like the modern day Brady's. I mean, she had her daughter, I had my twins, and then we had her one together. Ah, I see. And um, because we felt like we were ready at that point, okay. we were still really, really young, but we felt like we were established, and and we had. Um, so you didn't marry the mother of the twins. No, we got we, it. We dated, and we had already broken up, and and. Um, yeah, I, I, there wasn't. Uh, it what I didn't think it was going to work out, so I didn't. Uh, never went down that hmm. road. How long have you been married? Twenty three years. Wow. Twenty three years. Also, half your life. There's like a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the good and the bad of doing everything real early. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that you've been involved with over the years is Safe Nest. Kind of switching directions here. Talk about what is Safe Nest and how did you come to be involved? So Safe Nest is Nevada's largest domestic violence, um, ages, most comprehensive agency, you know, again, in the state of Nevada. And so what does, that, what does that mean? It means they have shelter, counseling, court advocacy. Um, you know, they're just a resource for anybody dealing with domestic violence. And so I got involved um, with them. Well, let me back up a little bit. In 1996, my sister was killed by her then-boyfriend. And um, so I remember Safe Nest reaching out to us to provide anything that, you know, that they could for the family. We need, we need to talk to a counselor. We need to talk to um, anybody. And just, just they were there to help us. And um, years later, uh, there was someone who was on the board, was putting together a golf tournament benefiting Safe Nest, and they said, you know, would you mind helping out with this committee? And, you know, you're a golfer. Do you like, you know, you probably know some guys like to play. And I said, yeah, I'm happy to help. What, what do I do? And they said, well, just find players, and are you okay with asking people for money? And I said, absolutely. So, hmm. so I helped on this put this tournament together it was a success and from then on I thought okay how do I get more involved I like how this feels because 
you know, nothing I was going to do would bring her back, but how do I, and I didn't discover this till much, much later, but how do I honor her? What can I do to um, honor her, who she was, and affect change in a positive way? Did you, first of all, I'm curious, how do they even know to reach out to you guys? They're, they have a, the SafeNest has always had a partnership with, with Metro, and that's becoming um, bigger and, and more effective now. But then they would just know about uh, homicides. And they proactively reached out to, to your family? They did, It yeah. wasn't like you guys... They did. They just said, you know, wow. we, we were told by, by Metro at the time, you know, here's a resource. Um, and then they, yeah, they reached out to my, my parents. And then when you were asked years later to help with the golf tournament, did you, at that point, in retrospect, is that when you first had the feeling of, well, I can do something, you know, I like golf, I don't mind asking people for money, I can do something to honor my sister? Or was it after it was already a success, did then you have that feeling or realization? I, no, it, was, it, it all came years later. I started on the board, and I sat there, I don't know, probably six months wondering, what am I doing? You know, am I, how can I help? What do I do? And, and so as the years went on, I got more and more involved. Um, they asked me at one point to, to be president of the board, which was a huge honor. Oh, and you did that? I did. I wow. did. I, yeah, like I say, served three years. And um, at that point, it really started to change. For me, it was, okay, if I'm going to do this, they asked me, would you, would you take on this role? And I said, I, I will, but it has to, I have to do it my way. And, um, and, and they said, okay, well, what does that look like? And I said, I want our board to be people who, who really, really are here for the right reasons. If you just want to put it on your resume and you're not going to help, I can't use you. But if you're here, you know, let's, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's put, you know, get to work and let's, let's affect change in a positive way. And, and what, what do I mean by that is fundraising and um, long-term sustainability of, of the organization. What, how does this go on past my time on the board you know, what does the day-to-day management look like of the organization? Do we have the right players? And I ruffled some feathers. You know, we, we ran some people off. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm proud. I mean, I, I just went to an event on Saturday, their, uh, their annual tea. And um, I've seen this. I, I stepped away from the board at, at year-end after, after nine years when this past year you stepped away? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you did a nine-year stint. Nine years. Three of which you were president. Right. And how long did you stay after you were president? Uh, two years. Okay. Two years. And by then I kind of felt like it's time for me to get out of the way. Yeah. And <laughs> Well, I mean. It's time for you to move out of the way. Absolutely. I got it. You know, because there Practice has to be. what you preach. There has to be fresh energy, fresh ideas. You know, I'm not, I'm not so full of myself to think that I've got it all figured out. I, I found good people that were better than me, and I asked them to join the board. And so when I left, I left. Who's, it. who's an example? If you're okay to to call them out here, someone that you said, you know what, you are just excellent. I want you on this board, and you're gonna, really going to do great things for Safe Nest. Well, one one that comes to mind that that you know is Angelica Lopez. She was she is a survivor, and she was our client. Uh, at SafeNest for a little while, and now she's vice president of the board, and she's amazing. Every time I see her or um, – because we talked about her joining the board before she was ready, and we kind of had a plan. We said, look, I think you'd be dynamic. I, I Nobody gets it like you do. Mm-hmm. Y- you need to join the board, but the timing has to be right. Can't have you being on the board and potentially a client – Years later, it worked out, and she's amazing, and she's exactly who we need because she's passionate. She she wants for the organization more than anyone, and so I was. There's there's great, many, great example. There's many, but I mean it it. Like I say, she's she's exactly who needs to be on that board. And if you were to brag about yourself and what you what you accomplished as president, 
Is there one thing that you could point to that you just just kind of like nod to yourself in, in pride saying that, you know what, my involvement, I could point to this and almost feel it tangibly. This is the change that I made for SafeNest. My goal and my takeaway was I want it to be better than I found it. And that's not, you know, I'm not taking anything away from prior leadership. It's just I want, from my standpoint, is it better off than it was? Now, I was president during the worst possible time. I mean, this is middle of the recession. It was easy to, to raise money when times were good, and you could just call your friends and say, hey, I, you know, write me a check. How much is a check do you typically ask when a casual sort of ask like that? Well, depending on depending on how well I know them and mm-hmm. maybe how many cocktails I've had on board, I, I, you know, I, <laughs> I could ask for some big checks. Direct or, correlation between the zeros on the check and the cocktails consumed. Absolutely. Got it. Absolutely. So how much is a... What would be like a standard amount? What would be like, oh my God, that's a big one. It, it means it means different things to different people. And so one thing that I wanted, I wanted really people to understand is give where you're at. I mean, you know, Obama got elected on $10 donations. Well, why can't SafeNest uh, prosper with those same $10 donations, right? Now, it's nice if you get one for six figures, but those are, you know, not everyone has that ability. So how do we get the masses to, to give and want to give? Well, first of all, we need to teach them who we are, mm. tell them, give them our story, and then, let you know, encourage them to give and then be out in front of them on a regular basis so that they, so they don't forget about it. So there's so many worthwhile causes, right? And, and I don't want to play my causes better than yours. Sure. I mean, but it's, it's how do you want, yeah. I have to be out and, and remind you that here, hey, we're, we're still here. This is the work we're doing, and it's important, and we want to encourage you to give, and um, give where you're at. Are you involved with anything else at this point? No. No, I took a break um, since, since the end of the year, and um, we'll see. We'll see what that looks like. Um, you know, I certainly have desire to, to get involved in other things, and there's so many, like I say, so many other worthwhile causes. Uh, Safe Nest will always be close to my heart. Uh, you know, I always tell them, look, I'm an easy ask. If you if you <laughs> ask me for money, I'll probably give it to you. So just, you know, make sure I'm on keep, the distribution list. Keep asking. Yeah. So we, you talked about you, you were president during the recession. Sounds about the time when you and I met. I'm going to share my my memory of the story and fill in any gaps or even share if you remember it any differently. Um, Greenspun Media, I think it was under the Vegas Inc. brand, does these events, these parties, like they honor, you know, tech companies in Vegas or best doctor this or best accounting firm, those kinds of things. I don't remember which one of those it was, but I remember it was at, I think it was the Hilton right next to the convention center at their steakhouse, which I think is called Envy. And it was outside. I'm guessing it was probably around the summertime. I felt like it was, if I'm remembering, I was kind of hot. And you go to these things and you get introduced around or you meet people around. And here I come up to, to you. My name's Haya. My name's Ray. I don't know exactly who initiated what. How's that so far before I get into the, the first takeaway here? Sounds about right. All right. Um, it was the recession. I remember that very clearly. Uh, and you asked me a simple question that totally threw me. How can I help you? It was, I remember what it was exactly uh, if I was just caught off guard because people don't ask that as the first question. It's usually, uh, what do you do so that I can mentally decide if, if we can do business together, if you're the person I want to meet or whatever. But you asked, how can I help you? And the other thing, which we'll, we'll get into a bit more, your delivery is also what sort of captured me because it was authentic. It wasn't just, you know, you heard this in a seminar or you read it in a book saying that this is a great tactic that you can get people to want to do business with you. I mean, you genuinely wanted to know, how can I help you? And I'm guessing it was the look on my face or the blank, the, you know, the blank stare, the, the non-response I gave you because then you followed it up with, uh, who can I introduce you to, to help you do what you want to do or something like that. And then I sort of got it that this guy was real and he wanted to help me. And I told you at the time it was a recession. The banks owned a lot of properties. I'm in commercial real estate. 
Uh, we were really chasing the bank-owned, the REO stuff at the time, and that's what I uttered finally after my mental scramble. All right, cool. Come over here and meet a couple guys. You introduced me to Steve Wagner, I believe, was there, and, and Noel. And these are your buddies. You've known them a long time. You, the bank, I think, at the time that you were at has already dispersed, and guys were sort of elsewhere. Or I don't remember if you were still at Silver State or not, but that, that was your – that was my memory of our – first conversation wow i it's uh i've got a great memory actually it's uh the detail that you remember but i i that's always been my approach it's always been i kind of think who i am i i used to think that i had to do business with everyone and the reality is that doesn't work and so um why doesn't that work because I'm not, I'm never going to be all things to all people. So why try, right? If if I can connect with people and truly be a trusted advisor, and that means different things to different people, but if I can truly be one of your trusted advisors, somebody you go to um, when you need my help, that's always going to serve me well. And you know what I do you know that I, I want you to know that I'm genuine. The people that I do business with and I have relationships with, I want them to feel that way about me. That's important to me. And so I'm glad that it, it, it came across as genuine and, and um, that that was your takeaway. I, I think, and, and that served me well over in my career. Um, How did you learn that? I think it's just who I am. I, I don't know that I ever read it or, or whatever. It's just I, after you have some success, you start to figure out, okay, well, this is who I am, and this is what that all looks like. I think with a little bit of confidence that you kind of figure it out. And, you know, certainly during the recession, it wasn't, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of confidence to go around. But I knew when I met you and when I met Jared, I said, these are two guys that I really want to uh, you know, know and have a relationship with because I knew you guys were going to be hitters. And I think I told you that almost instantly. Uh, you know, it was very clear to me that you guys were going to be successful in whatever it is that you did. And um, so I, I knew that I wanted to have a relationship with you guys. And whether we ever did business together or not, um, that doesn't matter. Do you think someone listening to this can adopt your style? If they if they're genuine, yeah, so I, how, absolutely. How do you, how does that reconcile? How does it go from it's a tactic I learned from the seminar, the book, you know, I'll lead with how can I help you, and then how does it become genuine or part of who you are? So if you're at that event and you're going around handing out your business card to everybody and you're trying to get business, and that's necessary, what does that look like? I mean, how how is that perceived? And if you tell someone, how can I help you, do what you say you're going to do. Don't just say it just to say it. So, you know, how, how can I add value to your business? What, what, you know, who do you need to meet? Maybe there's someone, because if we, if we get together, you, you ask me, well, who do you know? I, I need to find some new clients. And I think, well, I don't know anybody. But the reality is, if you give me a list of names and you said, I, I really want to meet these people, well, there's a chance I, I know a good percentage of them. And if I can make an introduction to those people, that's a heck of a lot easier than a cold call. You know, if I call your office every day and I just, you know, I just want to get a meeting, your secretary is going to shut me down. It's never going to happen. But if I know someone who knows you and they make an introduction, all of a sudden I'm right there where I need to be. And so that's, that approach is, is exactly how I prospect I want to know, you know, who do you know? You know, who can you make an introduction to? And when I take that meeting, I'm never going to embarrass you. I'm not going to go in there with, with a, the idea that I'm going to close a sale. All I'm going to do is meet someone. I want to start the relationship mm. because they may have a need, and I may get into that meeting and think, this is not a fit for me. Yeah, there's, there's money to be made. There's business to be had. But does this person 
fit with what I'm looking for. And so, you know, I, I'm confident enough in my ability to where I don't need the practice. I, and I don't have to take on every client. And so I want to be, I want to be, I want to be selective. In our, I'm reflecting on a lot of things that you said, but in our eight to nine years that we've known each other, when you, when you said the way that you prospect is you ask for introductions of people. Uh, and interestingly, that sense of duty that you shared earlier comes up again. When I meet with that person that you introduced me to, I will not embarrass you. That's interesting. That's one little side note there. But you have introduced more people to me in our, in our relationship than I've ever introduced to you. So that's, I can't even remember a very, any specific time where you said, Hey, can you introduce me to, I'm sure it's happened, but I don't remember it in a way where it's like Ray keeps asking me for, keeps mooching off of me basically. Right. Well, I have to recognize when there's a time to ask for business, right? I mean, if I'm just everyone's friend, and they know what I do, but I'm not asking you for business. Well, that's a problem too. You know, certainly, there comes a time where you need to make it known that hey, I want your business. I want to do business with you. Um, but you know, again, I'm going to be selective. Another interesting thing when you talked about that the event, you gave a description of you're at that networking event and you're the guy walking around passing out your business cards. I call it the paper route. The paper route? Yeah. <laughs> Looks like a guy just throwing newspapers, right? Just walking around. But he said, yeah, what does that look like? It looks like someone throwing it, out newspapers. It looks like desperation. What do you think your style looks like? And who who does it... Again, another complex thing to, to sort of unpack. Who is the audience in this example? Is it the entire event? Or is it maybe the people at the event that you want to meet that could do business with you that you don't even know who they are, but they're like everyone else, maybe observing the room? Yeah, it's a, my style is very relaxed, I, I think. I don't go in there with an agenda and like, I have to meet this guy. I mean, if there's someone, if, if you're there and um, I, I need to meet with you, um, or I, you know, say Jared says, hey, you really need to meet Haim, and you're there, well, I'm going to go out of my way to, to go introduce myself. But again, the, the approach from there is, you know, let's, let's meet, let's have a cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, Jared said, maybe there's opportunities for us to do business. He said, you're a good guy. You're somebody I should know. I use that all the time. You know, I said, you're somebody I should know. And, you know, it just kind of takes the, the guard away. It kind of takes that pressure of. So it's, it's, you're someone I should know, not necessarily you're someone I should come sign up for a line of credit right now. Right, right. Because how do I know? How do I know what your needs are? And I'm not going to just assume things. Let's, let's have a conversation. Let's so you're reversing basically the, the um, interest in that first meeting. Instead of coming and telling me everything that you do and can offer me, you're not saying a word about that. You're trying to understand what are my needs, and then you're deciding if there's a fit here or not a fit. Right. My, my background is operations, and so I understand what the mechanics of a banking looks like. And so I, I never thought it makes sense for me to just push products without knowing, is it, do you really need that? You know, I mean, is that something, does that add benefit? Or does it benefit me because maybe there's a, a commission that comes along with it? And so that's genuinely who I am, I think. I, but... It takes people's guard down. I mean, for that guy with the paper out, I mean, you see him come and you're like, oh, boy, here we go. So, you you know, you, you talk to him, you <laughs> take promoter. his card. Yeah, you take his card or whatever, and then what do you do with that business card? What do you do with that business card? So you've got – you meet the same per, – or the, the people at the event. You've got the paper route guy, and then you've got a guy that's – how would you describe you in the in the event? If that dude's the paper route, who, who are you? <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I'm like I say, I'm pretty relaxed. I just go around and and there's always opportunities to meet people. But I'm but the paper route guy, I'll buy him a cup of coffee and hear his story, hear what he's about. And maybe, right, but but you go to an event and you you meet two contractors, let's say, and one contractor is the is the paper route guy. Hey, here's what I did, 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 did and the other guy is more your style. What? 
does that look like for you when you go back either to your office the next day and organize everything and say, who am I going to follow up with or who do I want to follow up with? Or even in that moment where you're making the, the checklist as to who do I want to continue a relationship with or not? I, I don't qualify it then. I try to follow up with everyone. Now, try is the key word there. Mm. Um, but I, I want to I meet and, and hear what they're, each, of those, each of those guys are doing. And where can I add value? And if, if the paper route guy, there's something that I can do to help him, then certainly I want to I do it. Oh, you don't, you don't just dismiss the guy? No, no. Because I know that when I first started in business development, I was the paper route guy, right? I, I, did, all, I did it all the hard oh, way. Oh, the truth comes out. The, the, the cold calling <laughs> and all the stuff that goes along with it. I mean, it's tough. And um, like I say, I'm not, I don't try to do b- battle with the uh, secretaries because it'll just, you know, it's a losing proposition. You. You're, you're ne- I'm never going to get in with the decision maker. I'm never going to get in. But, you know, you get called all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, in your role, your current role here, how many times do you get a call from sale, some guy that just, you know, has something Let me tell you what you. never works. Cold emails. Right. You just oh automatically delete them. Yeah. I, I, almost out of principle. Even if it's something that I may be interested in, I just delete it. I just, now that's... I do it too. I, I, and I... You get to a point where you have to, you, you have to set up uh, parameters for yourself. Otherwise, you get crushed with everything that's coming your way. Right. And that is one of consciously one of the parameters that I put up. I don't care how great your email is. If it is a cold email, that to me is the bottom of the barrel right now. Almost so, like the, the political postcards that come in the mail. Right, right. Well, or, you know, but again, going back to my approach is if I get your email from Jared and I use his name, yeah, it's a cold email, but there's... it's No, it's not, though. But there's... A reason for it. I would say that that's more warm and more personalized. I'm talking about the one that I don't know you. I don't know your company. I don't know your service or product. And you're sending me an email trying to tell me all those things and why I should give you my attention. Right. You've done, that person has, it's either automated or that person, if they're sending it themselves, has done zero homework except for maybe in a very broad stroke, this is a property management company or brokerage company and Maybe they need us, maybe they don't. Right. Whereas if your approach, I got your information from someone that I know, that's already not just a step above, it's, it's leaps above that cold email. Yeah, the response is usually good. You, you know, the response is usually positive, and, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, and that's okay. That's life. Um, I want to say one thing about a comment you made earlier, and then we'll kind of we'll switch to the next thing. You said it was impressive how my memory was so clear on that moment when we first met. And it's not lip service when I say, like, you've influenced me. That, to me, was a, a defining moment where I met someone, never knew you before, and you did something that left a lasting impression. That really changed the way that I view things in my life and in business. That's awesome. <laughs> The next thing, another thing, it's related, but it's sort of the next level. And again, it's sort of counterintuitive. You've said, I've heard you say, and you could fill in how you say it. I just want to be your number two. Or I just want to be, I know you're happy with your banker, but if you're ever unhappy, I want to earn the right to be the person that you call first. What's that about? So, again, I mean, people have relationships and it doesn't it's pretty naive of me to think that I'm just going to come in there and step in front of a guy that you maybe you've known your whole life and and you know he does all your business and and I'm just going to come in front of that that it just doesn't work but maybe there's an opportunity because your the your guy left right? He changed companies, got out of the industry, um, he retired. Maybe there's a need. Maybe there's something that you need that your current bank doesn't, doesn't provide, you know, because every, every bank has their, their sweet spot. You know, I, I only want to do income properties. I only want to do owner-occupied. I only want to do lines of credit, whatever it is, right? 
So you go to them with the line of credit and they say, yeah, we don't really do that. Well, I, I want them to think about me. And um, I had a client that, that uh, kind of like your takeaway with me, it, it blew me away when he said this. He said, he introduced me to somebody. He goes, I don't just have a bank. I have a banker. He said, anybody can take your money. Anybody can give you a loan. But who do you call when you need something? As a business owner, I'm busy. There's not enough hours in the day. When I need something from a bank, I call this guy. And I was sitting there and I was blown away that that was his, his takeaway. Hmm. And so it, it kind of changed the way. Well, you said that about you or about a different? About me. Okay. And so. Did it, I, did it cement that? Was it like validation that your style and your approach is what fits for you? It really did. It really did. So it made me realize that I can add value and I'm good at what I do. So if there's an opportunity and you want to take it, great. And if you don't, you know, maybe there'll be an opportunity down the line. And, that, and that's okay. I mean, if the timing's not right, it's not right. Have you ever said to a client, you know what, I know you need this specific product or service. My bank doesn't really do that or doesn't do it well. You should call so-and-so at such-and-such bank. All the time. All the time. And You're people giving go, your clients away. Yeah, they go, <laughs> wait a minute. You don't want to do this? You know, and depending on what it is, you know, if it's going to be a process or if I'm going to stress the relationship because we're going to try and, and make it work, I'd rather just take care of them, you know, because they're going to remember that. We had a client when I was with another bank that was um, outgrowing us. And they, uh, they needed a larger credit facility than we could, we could offer, and I recognized that. And so I called a, a competitor, and I, I made an introduction. And the, the client and, and, the, and his CPA, they, they talk about that every time they see me. They're like, I cannot believe that you did that. And I said, you know, it was the right thing to do for you. Who's more, more surprised, your competitor or the client in that scenario? The client. Yeah. It, you know, the, and these, this particular customer was um, an amazing operator. Their company was unbelievable. They are exactly the kind of person I want to do business with, the kind of company I want to do business with. And I gave them away. Because it was the right thing to do. Now, <laughs> that sucks, but it, you know. What it, is your, I don't know if you have a sales manager or whatever. What does your sales manager say about stuff like that? They, they recognized it too. I mean, when we, when we sat down, we talked about it and said, look, you know, there's going to come a time where the bank's management is not going to be comfortable with doing a larger credit line or whatever it was. Um, maybe it's time to, you know, have those conversations early, kind of set them up because I don't want to, I don't want them to come back to me and then me not perform. And then now their takeaway is entirely different. Mm. I mean, think about that. Every yeah, time now they, they're calling their number two, they're calling the absolutely. guy that's waiting in the hallway for the opportunity. But what's going to happen is if there's ever an opportunity for them to, to do business with me, they're going to do it. But then back to, so I'm seeing where all this connects, not just that they're going to, introduce you to their peers and colleagues ray really took care of us let me tell you what he did yeah and their and their relationship was with somebody else somebody else and that's yeah. and that's okay that's where it needed to be in that particular case but when they have no problems introducing me and and saying good things about me because you know i took care of them i did the right thing and like i say it it, it was painful to give a, a good client away but it worked out so there's like a cascading process here. How can I help you? If I can't help you today, I just want to be the first call. And if I'm not the best to help you, I'm going to find you someone who is. Right. So it sounds like I give. I, I spend a lot of time it's pretty giving good. business away. You need to go on stage. <laughs> you know, I, I like you say, it, it comes back to I, I don't need to do business with everyone. Yeah. I want to be selective. You know, at, at this point in my career i want to be i want to do business with people that i really want to I, I enjoy spending time with and and that are interesting and um you know so i'm now a little more selective than i 
I was when I was the paper route guy. <laughs> well, it's great segue into the next, really the next two takeaways. One, uh, so these things I've learned from you, the first one we first met nine, nine years ago, the other one just interacting with you over the years. Just recently, you and I were on the phone, we had a conversation and you said something. I was like, huh, there's another life lesson from Ray. You said the phrase ease of use. Ease of use. So what does that mean? In the context, it was at work. Like this should just be, the process should be easy. If it's not easy, something's wrong. There should be an ease of use. So talk, I mean, not, not just at work. It also goes into, I think, life and everything else. But talk a little bit about that. What does that mean to you, ease of use, and where do you look for it? That should be a reoccurring theme in, in all parts of your life, right? I mean, your home, your work, uh, you know, every relationship you have. If, if, if they're strained, do you really, are you really getting satisfaction out of having that relationship or that job or whatever um for me you know focusing on work i you know the sales process takes a long time so you go out you develop a a prospect you form the relationship you identify a need and then all of a sudden you come to me and you're ready to to do whatever you want me to finance your building or whatever and we screw it up that's a problem, right? If we make it hard for you to do business with us, there's too much competition out there. If there's not ease of use, what's uh, what's the appeal? They're like, yeah, he's a great guy, but I, no way, that's too painful. Um, you know, in our business, you know, I'll give you the secret sauce. I'm probably going to piss off a couple lenders, but the secret sauce for my business is if we're going to make a loan to somebody, do they have cash flow? Mm-hmm. Yes, check the box. Okay. Step two, do we have collateral? Yes. Step three, get out of your own way. Get it done. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's not well, that hard. I thought hard. we were going to like 10 steps here. No. <laughs> it's, it's not that hard. Just get out of your own way. Make it easy for the customers to do business with you. Otherwise, there's too much competition. So that's in a business setting. What about in life? How does that show up? You said relationships at home. Well, in your relationships that you have, whether that's you know your spouse, your your family members, friends, if there's if it's always hard to spend time with someone, do you really want to? I mean, think about in your life. If yeah, it's a great example. I just had breakfast with an attorney friend of mine, and we were talking about that specifically. You know, you you go to a family reunion and you've got someone that you don't really care for or whatever. And do you really want to spend time with them for one reason or another? Maybe not, you know, and rhetorically I'd say, how do you know it's not you, but we don't need to get into that. And maybe it is, mm-hmm. and you know what I mean? Maybe it is. I, I don't, uh, yeah, I'm not so okay. sure of myself that to think that, that I'm perfect. I, you know, I'm certainly, I've certainly have plenty of faults, but you know, what comes to mind for me with young kids, it's the morning routine, getting the kids, out of the house, and then not so much at night because it's it's I have ease of use there. There's a routine we know it. Everyone kind of falls into it, but that getting the the six and four year old through breakfast, dressed, brush your teeth, all that stuff that goes with it, and into the car, out of the house, get them to school. There's no ease of use, or I should say, it's day by day. Right, right. <laughs> so Tim Ferriss, who is an author and a podcaster and all that, he talks about this also. In his process, whenever he's going to approach a project or anything, he asks at the front end, what would it look like if it were easy? I think that's very interesting because it's very much related to your term, which is ease of use. Yeah, would you want to do it? Is it now, is, if it's easy, is it, is it gratifying? I mean, you know, do you enjoy it that much to where if everyone You're can do it? You're taking it a step further almost. So I'm, um, let me, like, okay, we need to redo our website at the company. This is going to be a process. It could take six months. It could take a year. But before we really jump into this, let's ask ourselves, what would it look like if it were easy? And you start painting a picture. 
uh, this would happen, this would happen. This, okay, well, let's do that then and make it easy as opposed to what you're served up, which is it's going to take six months, nine months, and you never know, and blah, blah, or the same thing with my example with the kids in the morning. Hey, what would it look like if it were easy to get the kids ready and out of the house and then start putting those little pins in place? But you're taking it a step further of you can make it easy, but you have to make it gratifying too. Yeah, so, I mean, an example with the kids – you know, yeah, it's a pain, but there's actually going to come a time where, where you're going to miss that. Oh, here's the sage advice. Oh, yeah, my kids are my kids are <laughs> adults, and so there's times where I I uh, think, gosh, I I miss when they were. It was hard. You know, you had that morning routine, and you know you're on them to get out of the house because they're going to be late to school or, or whatever it is. But um, in that example, there's going to like come the a, two or three things that you miss. You you think it's hard at their age that your kids are now. It gets a lot more complicated as they get older. But I remember when your kids are probably two to about eight or nine. That's what I have. You you come home from work and they're excited to see you and you're you know you can do no wrong and they just want to mm-hmm. hang out with you. Um, but then there's those days. <laughs> oh no! Listen, there was plenty. Of, there were plenty of days where I I got up in the morning and think, thank God I get to go to the office because, you know, th- there it's going to be are tough. More uh, there are more days where you come home and you know my in my family we have seven, almost seven, uh, four and almost two, and the two year old Lily will come up and she says, "Daddy," and gives me a hug and all that, and that's cool. And Nathan wants to tell me what happened at school today, and Ava wants me to put on music so she could dance. Then there are the days when I come home, and Lily's crying. She won't let Danielle put her down. So Danielle's like, I've been holding her for I don't know how long. Ava's on the floor, just total meltdown, and Nathan just angry. And you want to go back out, (laughs) drive around the block a couple times and come back in. You miss that? Uh, I mean, not necessarily in that moment, but <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I all of it—the good and the bad—because it's um, it's important. You you, you know, the, it happens fast. You think seventeen, eighteen years before they graduate high school or whatever, and move out or or start college or do whatever it is that they're going to do. You think that's a long time, mm-hmm. but from my perspective, looking back, it's. It's really not. And so, I, yeah, I miss that a lot. So you are 24 years into a career. Your kids are all pretty much grown and almost all of them are out of the house. You're at this point where this reflection of, you know, enjoy it while it's there. Things are going to change. It's going to go quickly. All the things you just said, you're there right now. Like people say with me, oh, you're in it when they hear my kids' ages. You're in it in a way where you're at a very, it seems like, transformational part in your life. So what lessons do you have right now that you're paying attention to? Uh, You know, I I really pay attention to the relationships I have. I want people to know how I feel. If uh, if I'm close with someone, you know, I tell them I love them. If, if, If somebody goes out of their way, at work and they say or they help me with something i i make it known hey i appreciate you i i think that that's important to me right now i you weren't always like that no i don't think so and um i'm trying to figure it out you know i listened to um when i listened to your last podcast with kevin Mm -hmm. kevin Oder, and he talked about um some of his takeaways and how he arrived there and the, and the life plan. And I thought, well, I think I even reached out to you and I said, do I, I think I need one of those. Maybe we could buy the book and, and uh, try to do it ourselves. But um, you're going to do it. I, I'm interested because you know, what, what does the next stage of my life look like? Um, I just want it to be satisfying, whatever it is. And making money is important but it's not near as important as it once was. Um, so I, I, I'm figuring that out. I'm figuring out, 
okay, what do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> it's interesting that you're taking a pause to reflect on this. And I write, I wrote down, uh, you know, living an intentional life. Going back to when you first found out, hey, I'm going to be a dad. You didn't have the luxury of saying, who do I want to be when I grow up? You were served up. I'm going to be a dad and I'm going to be a working dad. And I don't know if you ever went back to school. You said you were about to start UNLV. I never went back, unfortunately. I, um, I grew up. I, I knew I was going to UNLV when I was, I don't know, probably junior high school age. And, mm-hmm. and it was just, certainly the grades were there and it was going to happen. And um, then life threw me a curveball. And, and I could have gone back. I've been lazy. You know, I mean, if, if, I really, if I'm really honest with myself. Um, and I still may, you know. And, and I, I wouldn't do it because it's going to advance my career or anything like that. I, I just want it for me. I, you know, I would want that to be something, another accomplishment in my life. Can somebody at 30 think like you're thinking right now where you know, maybe they're not quite to all these transitional things where, I mean, for you, it's really kids are about to all be out of the house and on their own and all that stuff. And now you have, I think it's a luxury to pause and say, who do I want to be when I grow up? But can you do that at 25 or 30 or 35? Sure. Why not? Right? I mean, if you... Because life is in the way. You know, maybe... And maybe if someone came to me and and had this conversation with me saying, this is what you need to focus on when I was 25 and I wasn't ready for it, you know, it'd fall on deaf ears. But maybe it wouldn't. You know, you never know. I, I I don't think that we need to classify, well, you know, you got to be this age, you got to be at this point in your life for this to make sense. I think, you know, living an intentional life should be a reoccurring theme regardless of where you're at, right? I mean, you you go to work and you're you're making money and yeah, you need it because you need to live, but is it the right fit? you know, um, and maybe I need to put in some time and I need to do whatever else to get ready for this next part or our next stage of my life or career or whatever it is, but be intentional. Think, be thinking about, you know, is this relationship, is this job, is it satisfying? You know, am I, what am I getting out of it? Mm. Am I, Am I giving back appropriately? You know, if you're going through the motions at work, and there was a time, you know, where in my career, where I hated going to work, and I would rather, I'd rather die than go into the office. That seems extreme, <laughs> but you know, it was just it was a painful time. You know, this is mid middle of the recession mm. and, and stuff, but it was um, those were tough times, and and I think back about that. And we don't always have the luxury, but if I can, I want to try and be an intentional, you know, again, with my, with my career. And I, I've always told my kids, I said, find something you could do. If you can make money doing something you love, you figured it out. And if you, if you go to college, if you don't, if you go to, you know, some trade school, or you don't, you just get on the job training, whatever. Find something you love, and you figured it out. And, and I've said, well, that's what I want. And they're going, well, really? I mean, that's, that seems kind of odd coming from me telling my kids that. They're thinking, well, don't you have that? And um, in some aspects, I do. But, you know, to really wake up in the morning and, and be passionate about what it is that you do, people you do it with that's the key that's what's important at this stage of my life that's what i've figured out usually i say ray this has been great and fun and i go and recap everything that we've talked about i don't think i need to do that i think what you just said is the highest note that we could possibly end on thank you for coming on everyone thank you for listening we'd love to hear your takeaways from this episode and others so wherever you uh consume this uh if you see it on facebook if you see it anywhere else make sure to leave comments leave us a review
Ray, thanks. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.